Hey, hey, hey. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Living in Color with Amber and Tamala, where we discuss spirituality, career education, finances, and relationships as Black women and how mental health affects them all. How you doing, sis? I am doing well. Sorry if you guys hear the fire truck in the background. Um, but I'm 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 doing well, all things considered. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, this week was kind of like a break for me from all things um, exercise and overdrive. And so I've been enjoying not having to wake up and like really just, you know, overexert myself in the mornings. But I kind of miss it. So I plan on getting back to it next week. Well, I hear you hit your 60-day mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How we feeling? You know, I feel good. It wasn't like a every day I work out for sixty days, but it was every week until I reach sixty days. And for someone who does not enjoy, well, I take that back. I enjoy it a lot better now than I did in the past. But for someone who is not like this fitness guru who just goes to the gym or works out all the time. I was really proud of myself. Um, as I stated on my social media post, I've always had problems with losing pounds, but I lost over 50 inches total body circumference. And so I think that's a huge win. Um, it definitely motivates me to continue. So I think putting it in increments where I go like 30 days or 15 days, whatever the case may be, it helps me stay focused and committed to it rather than be like, okay, let me just work out for six months type thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Self-discovery at its finest, learning what works for you and, you know, how to make it work for you and feeling, building your confidence in what works for you. So I think that's amazing. I, myself, I won't get on like the physical health part, but I had a incredible moment last night, actually. Um, a friend of mine was asking me about attachment styles and what I knew about them and all this other stuff. And so it just made me curious. So I went and did a little quiz that I used to give out to some of my clients on attachment styles, just trying to see like if it was the same. And it wasn't, it was different. And so I kind of mm. did a deep dive into like that particular attachment style, which we can always like come back and do like a podcast on this. But um, it just it just made me see myself differently, um, recognize some things about myself that, um, you know, I still need to continue to work on from within in a healthy way. Um, in an accepting way too. So just understanding a little bit more about myself. And so by the time I finished last night, I wrote down this uh, little meme of my own where people have that shirt that's like single, taken, working on myself or whatever. And I just said single, no, taken, no, self-discovering. Yes, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, I, like I love it. I love it. Huh. Yeah. 
You know, the light bulb with my head, but <laughs> you know, we, we'll we'll do that offline. But you know, it's it was it was good. It was a uh, it was it was hard. It was hard because sometimes when you start learning some certain things about yourselves and you like, yeah, that really is me. It kind of hits you in the face, but then you know, not dwelling on anything that's negative, but learning about yourself enough to say, okay, so what can we do to, you know, heal, cope, figure out how we can make different decisions, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, another podcast coming soon. Look out for it. But let's jump into our current events this week. So sis, this vice presidential debate, what are your thoughts? I just want to know your thoughts. I'm speaking. I'm speaking <laughs> is all I'm gonna say. I think that was that and the whole fly was probably like the highlights of the debate for me. Um, and it was a good. Well, I'm, I can't even say it was like a good debate because as soon as he uh, Pence started acting like his uh, his counterpart, I was. I exited as far as attention goes. Um, I heard what he said, but I wasn't in tune like I was in the beginning because you, I mean, the respect just went out the window. You didn't respect either of the women in the room. And so therefore I was just like, at this point, I hope they get you every time they can. Um, But, oh, Kamala, you know, the... The Felicia Felicia Rashad, uh, Claire Hanks Hustable facial expressions, the interjections with kind of just breaking it down. I'm speaking, Mr. Vice President, but I'm speaking was probably, like I said, the better highlights of the debate. And then when the flash showed up, it was it caught me off guard. And so I was like, oh, my God, what is that on his head? And then it's just like staying there. And so, you know, I went to Twitter and everybody was just like, that's a fly. And I was like, y'all, that can't be a fly because it's staying there. Like flies move. Um that he just kind of landed and you know made a home for a little bit and then it became like well damn that's why just if it is a fly is it dead because <laughs> it kind of just appeared and then moved but outside of that um you know i think it was a fairly decent debate. Um, the conversations around the fact that, you know, she had to be poised and she couldn't uh, uh, be as aggressive as she normally is or has, or um, how she has been in the past was one of those conversations that I was like, yeah, every black woman who has been in some type of room with a whole bunch of white men or white people in general um, understand what that looks like. And so, we have to tread this thin line about standing up for ourselves, but not being um, perceived as this angry black woman who rolls her neck and holds her finger up type thing. So I think I'm speaking, got it across very well. What about you? How did you like it, dislike it? Listen, I, I watched about 15 minutes of the debate fully, <laughs> like sat down and watched it. And 
honestly, I'm just, I shouldn't be shocked or surprised or anything like that. But I think at the end of the day, for us to leave a debate only really recognizing facial expressions and flies on people's head is just, it's mind boggling. Now, granted, that's what kind of media puts out there. So that's what everybody kind of grabs hold to. And that's what we know. But I was like, we, our country needs help. And for us to be like, just totally focused on those things and not necessarily the content <laughs> of the debate yeah. with, and in, in all honesty, I didn't watch it because it didn't sound like they were even answering um, certain questions. It was all about the attack of the other one. And I get that part because that's kind of what a debate is. But this is the first time in history that I can remember where I watched a debate or listened or heard about the, you know, highlights of a debate where we're not even talking about the issues at all at this point. And our country is like in such a dire need to really fix some issues. So I was just kind of like, it, it just, it, I won't say it made me sad. I guess it just made me a little frustrated and just a little, like, I don't know what to expect. I think everybody's waiting on your 2021 to come around so we can say we're out of 2020, but I don't know how much different it's going to be, you, you know, in all honesty. Right, and I, I totally get that. I think for me with this whole campaign in general, I've checked out, and I know that's not probably what I should be doing because there are things that are important going on, but I think the current, um, everyone that's in office currently has kind of just shown their colors at this point. And so I'm not going to say what's the worst that you can do now, because I'm sure there's, there is a lot worse that you can do. Um, (laughs) but so I think for me, like, it's kind of like a child watching their parents. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. you've shown me that every time I ask you to do something, you've disappointed me. Every time I've tried to give you grace, you've disappointed me. And so now I don't have any expectations for you. And that's how I feel about Trump's whole cabinet. <laughs> you yeah. disappointed me to the point where I just don't have any expectations. So whatever you give, I'm just like, uh, I'm not surprised. Um, I was hoping that Kamala came out and kind of showed the world, like, this is what a debate should be like. But again, I think she had to stand her ground in what trash arena she was thrown in. Um, You know, she had highlights where she talked about the pandemic. Um, But I agree, they both avoided some important questions that need to be answered. Do I think we're going to get those answers before the election? No. So I don't know if it was like a strategy of the Biden campaign to be like, don't disclose anything we're doing so they can't take it and flip it. Or if it was more so like, I really just want to run him in the ground to show Biden this is how you go toe-to-toe with a bully type thing. I don't know. Nevertheless. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not sure either. And I don't I don't even put it on uh the vice 
president, you know, candidates at this point, I guess it's just how it just kind of reminds me of how, you know, as a culture and as a country, we kind of have gone to a narrative that probably makes us feel like happy. I mean, because granted, I got some good laughs off all the memes. Let me tell you, like, Mm -hmm. well, um, especially with Biden and that floss water, that one took me out. (laughs) I think, you know, I just I kind of look back and I think about it like big picture and it's kind of like we are having to hold on to things like this to find happiness and, you know, Mm -hmm. laughter Mm -hmm. because we are in such dire need of of so many things in this country right now. And so it makes sense. It just makes sense. I guess I'm just like this is this is not something I've ever experienced before. Um, you know, and of course they've canceled the next presidential debate, uh, but you're, but 45 is rallying and talking to people about kissing them because he feels so great. And I'm just like, I just don't have any words anymore. I'm not saying anything else. (laughs) Again, no expectation. (laughs) Um, but what about the the NSARS campaign that's kind of been trending now on social media. What are your thoughts about that? Um, it's sad, but I think it's even scarier than what we live in. And I don't know why that is to me. I think from what I've seen and what I read, I think I can't wrap my head around just the fact that this is happening in another country to black people who are just trying to stand up for what is right and then they're being hurt by more black people you know like it's not even a racial thing there it's more of a power thing and it's so disheartening and you know as we you know you and i i'm sure both know and follow people who um, are strongly connected to that by their like Nigerian roots and things like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's bad. I don't Absolutely. think I have words to even sum it up other than it's sad. Yeah, I, I'm just going to agree with you there. The only thing that came to my mind as I started to read more about it and, and you know, get a little bit more familiar about what's actually happening just reminds me of something that sometimes we forget and that, yes, we went through slavery and we've gone through all of these things, but we have to forget we were sold into it first. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it was our own people who sold us into it. And and I think sometimes we forget that in our history. Um, And so this has been happening for a very, very long time. It's not, you know, it's not new. And I'm all for Black Lives Matter and really dealing with police brutality, but there's some healing we have to do within ourselves, within our own culture. Um, And that's the thing that, that I guess resonated for me when I was reading it. I was like, we have a lot that we have to do 
I am, I don't think I'm Nigerian. At, I don't know what my, I need to do some ancestry things. <laughs> Let me not Same. say what I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. But I just know that as um, a person of color, a black person, a black and brown person, we have undergone historically trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And it's so disheartening to kind of continue to watch it play out the way that it's playing out right now, because now it's not, it's, it's on all sides. It's not just white against black or, you know, white and against people of color. It's, there is a, there, there's just a problem. So anyway, I am, I'm, I'm definitely hoping that, you know, there's some changes that are coming for, for, them and for us, for all of us, really. But it's, it's mm-hmm. definitely disheartening. Speaking of disheartening, <laughs> so this whole, I wasn't even going to put this on this week's current events because I was so disgusted, but Blueface uh, uh, <laughs> is doing a social experiment with women. So he's moved women into a house and I don't even know what the experiment is. So I was reading to try to figure out, so what are you experimenting? And still didn't come up with an answer for that, but it's called a social experiment, Um, like a bad girls club or something. I just don't even have words for why in 2020, we are still as black women as black women, I'm not even going to say anything else about reality shows. I'm just saying as black women, putting ourselves in a place of notoriety, but it's, it's so, it's just so toxic. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. So, you know, I look at ratchet news a lot, get my kicks and giggles out of the comments and this is one that I just kept scrolling by I'm just going to be honest I said blue face social nope not even gonna and then I think a couple of days ago or yesterday or I, I don't know there was another video that posted and some girl I think she was trying to do a split or something and the girl threw something at her it looked like the old school Victoria's Secret lotion bottle. I was just like, what is going on? Anywho, I think this it's, goes back to the discussion that you and I have had a couple of times, like about self-worth. Yeah. If you think this is how you're going to make it, if this is what your validation looks like to make you feel like you are worth anything, we got to start over. And I say we because we all have a, we all play a part in it. Sure. Like, you cannot, and, and maybe it's just me. I don't desire to be in any type of altercation with anyone. It's like, specifically, not at this age, because I have too much suppressed anger, so I may black out. <laughs> That's one. Two, I just don't conduct myself in that manner. Like, yes, I can get heated. I can have a temper. I can clap back if I need to. But willingly putting myself in, like you said, a toxic environment is a no for me. I enjoy peace and binge watching shows too much for that. 
Right. I agree. I think, I guess one of the things that kind of um, made me look into this a little bit more uh, than I probably would have even given it a second thought is just kind of some of the research I'm already doing um, on my own. And just to kind of see how money really drives um, mm-hmm. some of the things that it, it, like you said, it goes back to, you know, your, your core values and your morals. And, and we all need to do a better job of really uplifting our women, black women. And I'm not going to be afraid to say black women, because I can't tell you the amount of tweets, posts, anything that I've heard about why it is that we feel the way we feel and why we can't just get over stuff. And I'm like, I, I can't wait to start writing this dissertation because I'm trying, it's not even for me to get a doctorate anymore. It's trying to read people to the fifth at this point. Like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do, let's do some homework here. Let's really think about and think through what's really happening instead of, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I I just I just hope that the women come out that thing and and really realize that it's more to life than being in a bad girls club fighting on TV and getting paid to do it. Right. Anyway. Even if I mean and I'll say this and we can move on if it goes back to just like we were speaking about you know as slaves we were sold by our own people you have a black man who is exploiting black women. Absolutely. 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 We whole nother conversation. Um, but speaking of black men and exploiting black women, and not that this ties in, but um so Jen how do you say her last name? Jeannie Mai. Mai. Jeannie Mai. Um, was on the reel talking about submission, of course, submitting to her boo thing, Jeezy. <laughs> and that went like viral as well, I suppose. And so much so that people personally, let me let me say this, personally, I like I know a few people, but one person in particular has something to say again about black women and how they don't get submission and this is why they aren't married, not getting married, aren't in long-term relationships, blah, blah, blah. Listen, first of all, I'm just going to let you uh, tell me what your thoughts are because I've already shared my thoughts via social media. Okay, so the answer is going to be twofold. One, I'm going to start with the positive. I get what she was saying about being a leader in her life in every aspect. And so she would like to come home and someone else kind of do things for a change. She just kind of goes with the flow. I understand that in the concept of I'm the authoritarian in my household. So I'm head of household right now. I have to go to work, be an advocate for others, supervise others. You know, I have to lead. So if I had a spouse, keyword, if I had a spouse, um, and I came home and he was like, hey, 
get ready. We're about to go do such and such. Or this weekend, we're going to go and do such and such. Just make sure, you know, your calendar's open. Um, then I'm for that. But I don't do yeah. that as submission. Um, yeah. And so I think that's the other part of it. How do you view submission? And I think a lot of people in this world view it as, oh, he's the man or they're the leader and what they say goes. Absolutely. That's not going to work for me because one, I grew up without a father. And so I've never had a man to tell me what to do from the beginning. My mother has told me what to do. Um, and then I'm, I'm still reading, but according to the Bible that I'm reading, um, the, the man is the head of household, the protector, the provider. Now, we can go into gender roles and all of that if we, if we should want to. However, I don't necessarily feel like you have to be the 100% provider financially um, because that's most of the time what people are talking about. They're not even talking about a provider of safeness and comfort and all of those things. Um, it's more so financially. But I have no problem stepping back or stepping beside my spouse if he should, if he chooses to lead us in a positive, healthy way. Now, this other stuff y'all have in y'all mind about submission, that doesn't mean that I cook three meals a day. That doesn't mean that, you know, I've been over backwards when you're ready. That doesn't mean that I do all of these things or I'm just, you know, you just shooting up the club and I'm taking care of these kids. Like that, that, that don't, in my world, that doesn't exist. I desire to be someone's equal. That doesn't mean that I don't give you opportunities to be the leader in situations. But it goes back to a whole respect thing because, and communication, because if you have those things, if you truly love someone, then, and you love yourself, you're not striving to make that other person happy. You're striving to make the relationship stronger. And so mm -hmm. whatever compromise needs to be made on both ends will be made. It isn't a thing of submission to me. Now I I can't speak for nobody else. Right. And I think so and I've already responded to this, so I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna keep it short and sweet. But first of all, this idea of submission is been taken out of context to the umpteenth degree because especially when people try to bring it back to a biblical standpoint because if you want to do that then you have to understand that submission is supposed to stay within a godly marriage so let's talk about that which mm. we uh, whole soapbox but as i kind of gave my feedback via social media i had a lot of people pop up in the dms and one dm from a um a friend of mine that I knew I grew up with um, that really hit home, you know, she was just like, you have to, in order to understand submission, 
then you have to be yourself submitted. And men, in the context of submission, even from a biblical standpoint, are supposed to be submitted to God, submitted to Christ, you know? So I can't therefore submit to a man who's not submitted first. And I think we miss that in in the whole conversation. It's like, you're asking me to submit to you and who are you? What are you being led by? Because if you're a flawed human being, then we all going down. I need you to be submitted. But then on top of that, when you are submitted, then you get direction for how to lead me in my submission to you. So I think we have to put the word submission back in the container that it was supposed to be rightfully used in and use it in that way. And anything else outside of that is your own stuff. Let's let's just go there. (laughs) <laughs> because and I'm not I'm not coming for Jeannie May my my yeah I'm not coming for her because you know she has identified what submission means for her and how that will work in her relationship and I'm not saying that you can't do that either I'm just saying from like when people try to put that whole biblical thing on it like yeah that's bible no let's talk about what really is bible and what's not okay that's all I got to say Moving on. All right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, I guess y'all need to go out and get your Bible and start <laughs> reading. <laughs> Come back for the conversation. Read it. You know, read it. But, it you know. take a while. I'm letting you know. <laughs> it's so much in the book. It's so much in the book. Yeah. But, um, on a lighter note, where it started, how it's going. I have enjoyed this um, trending on social media for so many reasons. I have gotten laughs. I have gotten good cries. I have just been excited to see things that I didn't even know, like personally with friends or associates or people I've known in the past. So I just wanted to know if you were following that that um, thread or how it's trending and what your thoughts were. Yeah, I've seen them for sure. And I think it's uh, just kind of a reminder that Black love does exist and it doesn't come cookie cutter like we think it does or we imagine it will be. Um, And to just be open, that's the biggest thing I've gotten from it because I've seen so many posts like, oh, she slid in his DMs or he slid in her DMs or they saw each other out and he or she decided to walk over, you know, whatever the case may be. It wasn't like this traditional way of meeting someone. And to see that people have grown and are still together, I think that's great. It gives me hope that at least one day something will happen. Yeah, I think think it does just kind of give a little light in some dark areas for sure. So it's it's good to see it. Um, some of them have been very funny um, for the few individuals that are sliding in the DMs with that little uh, snowflake. <laughs> Y'all need to quit. Just just stop. But no, it's it's Quavo. <laughs> so you know, I get it, and it worked for Quavo. It did. <laughs> it's not gonna work for. Everybody. It's not gonna work for everybody. 
Um, and I think people are trying it really to have fun with it as well. So it, you know, that's that's all well and good. But some people are getting offended behind the way women are responding to this snowflake. And I'm like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> and knowing me, I'd be like, burr, or come up with some Gucci Mane type <laughs> response. <laughs> like, I'm not going to respond nicely or, I guess, the proper way. I would just be a whole ass about it probably. But Yeah. You know, yeah. That could but be it's cool. I need to work on. <laughs> Listen, I, your girl needs to work on opening up the message, the DMs, you know, because I'll be honest, if I don't know a person, then it's, I usually kind of let it sit there. And if I do know the person and I ain't really got nothing for them, I let it sit there too. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one. I don't these problems, so. <laughs> <laughs> they don't happen super often, so, but there have been a few. But anyway, moving on, what we got going on in our Naturally Amazing segment this week? So this week, um, there were two stories that really stuck out to me. And one is about a lady named Renee Hub. Um, She's an entrepreneur that launched Inspire to Live. Um, And it is a organization that has daily motivational messages to influence uh, hearts and minds. So they offer t-shirts and coffee cup products. And she created this after she lost her nephew. Um, and I want to say, I'm not sure how she lost her nephew, but it said that he fought a good fight. So I'm thinking some type of like disease or something, maybe cancer or something like that. But nevertheless, um, it just had some really cute inspirational messages so you know if you guys get a chance go check that out and then the last one was really a touching story for two reasons one it was about baseball and you know I'm a baseball mom um my child plays but two it it was just gives me hope like the future the the generations to come in some aspects continue to give me hope on a lot of things but This particular story was um, about a 16-year-old boy named Kobe Kamish from Chicago who lost his mother to cancer last year. And um, his mom always dreamed of seeing Kobe pitch in the major leagues because he was an or he is an awesome pitcher. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that didn't happen due to her passing. And so the the Jewish school that he attended didn't have a baseball team. And so he he got with another Jewish school that was kind of bigger, that had a baseball team to just play. But they weren't giving him a lot of playing time because he wasn't really a student there. And so... um, He was really into, like, you know, racial diversity and um, the the political things that are going on in the world right now. However, at one of his games, there was a coach who actually saw him and 
the coach was a part of a program called The Show, which is a black American travel baseball team. And after seeing Kobe play, they contacted him for like a tryout and joined, uh, offered him a spot on their team. And so they welcomed him with like open arms. um, And the coach stated that Kobe's a rare find. And they beat the old Jewish school team that he used to play for. But now so more than ever, um, you know, Kobe rides like two hours to go and practice with the team every week or every other day or something, however often practice is. And um, he hopes that by being a part of this all-Black American team that uh, he inspires the world to see that we are all the same. So That's awesome. I just thought that was a really sweet, just amazing, amazing story. Absolutely. That is absolutely amazing. Um, And one thing I'm going to kind of mention here and we'll kind of, I'll kind of give them a better shout out, like when I have more information, but um, there is a business called Crown of Wealth um, and it is basically designer. So African American man and woman who have just kind of gotten together and have began to uh, create, you know, really amazing styles for everybody in general. But um, of course, you know, the target area has been um, African-American men and women. And the it's just, it really is off the chart. It's exquisite. Um, and it makes it's like royalty almost. And I'm so fascinated by it because I went to high school with this gentleman and I've been watching, I watch people in the background all the time, but um, this week, I think it was this week or maybe it was late last week. I, uh, they've started to post more and create their own page. And, you know, I've just started to see more stuff happen and it just reminded me of what it means to just kind of step out there you know, and and put your heart into what you love and allow it to bless you while it's blessing other people. Um, and so I'm going to do this again when I have more information, but I'm just so, so, so excited for people that um, I know personally that are in and around me who are doing so many amazing things. And especially during this time, just kind of stepping out there on faith and being like, okay, this is, we're going, we're getting ready to do it. And in, in my deep dive, because when I started to, to see them kind of doing what they do, I just started looking at people. So I started literally going to my pages and clicking on people that I know to see like, okay, what are these people up to? There are so many people who are doing so many incredible things and so I can't wait to have um, an opportunity to, you know, write some of these things up so that we can kind of bring to you all some things that are happening from a very local, you know, standpoint as we move along. Because there's some good stuff going on, including in-house with your girls. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> 
So, sis, let's jump into the discussion for this week. And this week we are kind of touching on toxic masculinity and femininity in the Black community uh, for so many reasons, which we'll get to. <laughs> but just a little bit of background on, you know, what we're referring to. So this idea of toxic masculinity or femininity is really just gender expressions rooted in internalized racism. So we're talking about white supremacy, queer phobia, misogynoir, anything like that. That's what we're kind of talking about. And to break it down for men, you know, it really stems from in the past, enslaved black men were beaten in front of their wives and children as a form of like psychological conditioning. And so you're talking about being whipped, being mutilated or castrated, and they were forced to endure the pain of having their families like sold to different plantations. All of these things that really kind of led to purposeful emasculation. And so in an attempt to like correct what has been done in the past, there's been an intense overcorrection where it's led to the distortion of ideas about what it means to be a man. And so the one thing that's been really big is that all things feminine are feared and devalued. Um, and so, and, and when we talk about all things feminine, like being able to show emotions, being vulnerable, being able to, you know, when emotional avail availability, meaning being able to cry, being accepted as still being a man and being vulnerable with what they're scared of or what's feared, um, even down to sex and how it's been misconstrued into something about triumph and conquest instead of being about intimacy. So you have, you have what is thought to, you have these conversations about being a man that are happening where you are expected to be this, that, and the other, and you're expected not to show emotion, be vulnerable, um, you know, take any, I don't even know. I think they were talking in one article that I was reading about, they were talking about the whole Boosie um, situation where, you know, he had his sons, nephews uh, engage in oral, you know, with an older woman so that they wouldn't be gay. That type of thing is what people are referring to when they talk about like toxic masculinity. And then for women, you have, you know, what, refer, what it refers to really kind of what we've talked about already is like this, that whole strong black woman plight where we have to uphold this stereotype of being like, like military strong. Like we're responsible for the overall well-being of everything and everybody, period. Um, and in doing so, we also have to deny our own needs in an attempt to maintain that strong persona. And so this idea of being consistently strong and invincible for Black women has kind of caused us to relinquish our space to be vulnerable. And it's led to a more, to, it's led to more rigidity where you find yourself not being okay with sitting with your feelings 
um, finding something to do so you don't have to sit with your feelings <laughs> uh, or take on, take on, you know, almost insurmountable tasks under the guise of being strong and then trying to figure out why things aren't necessarily working. Um, and so we've talked about the strong black woman persona on this podcast before, so I won't go into that. But all of that leads to this toxicity when we talk about gender roles, when we talk about what men are supposed to be, what women are supposed to be. Um, and all of these things start at a bit like when we come into the world. So we start getting these messages from birth all the way up until. And it's not until we decide to pay attention or identify certain things that we can actually begin to say, wait a minute, that's far left or that's far right. That's not necessarily true. And how do we deal with it? And the reason why I think we have kind of had our conversations is because in 2020, we have seen toxic traits on both sides in the black community come up time and time again. And they continue to come up even with the latest, with the whole toy lanes and Meg the stallion situation. There have just been so many things that have come up that continues to lead us back to this toxic way of thinking about black men and black women. So to kind of start our discussion off, like what messages do you remember picking up on what it means to be a black woman um, or what you learned about, you know, a man being a black man when you were growing up? So I can't say that I remember getting messages about black men because I wasn't around any. Um, so my household was strictly about what a black woman should look like. And in my house, it was still different. Like my mom wasn't the mom who stayed home and, you know, made me cute sandwiches to take to school type thing. She worked. And so... A lot of me growing up had to be like building a foundation of independence for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mom kept a lot of things from me as a child because she just felt like it wasn't a burden a child should carry. And I get that now being a mom. But I'll probably say when I was maybe like 15, I started realizing things that were already there, but I had just never paid attention to because I was a child. And, you know, I turned 16. I went out and got a job, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. I wanted to take that burden off of my mom. If I can, you know, I wasn't working like that, but if I can bring a little extra money home to cover my gas, cover my cell phone bills, then I'll do that because, you know, that's the least I can do. Um, I also was always told that, like, you know, just because you're a, a, a woman or a girl doesn't mean you can't do what you want to do. You can, do, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And just because, you know, 
you're this gender doesn't take anything away from that. And so I always went into the world knowing that there wasn't anything that I couldn't achieve as long as I put my mind to it. Mm-hmm. And that had, it didn't really have anything to do with me as a woman, but more so of what internally, you know, I was told over and over again when it comes to guys, because I, I didn't have my dad, I think I paid attention to a lot of the people around me um, and their their dads or the men that were in their lives. And so um, my aunt had a husband and I was super close to them. So he worked, my aunt worked, um, but you know, I didn't really ever see them like be affectionate or like go out and do things. So I was just like, oh, he works and it kind of works for them type of thing. Um, When I started getting friends, it was kind of the same way. Um, A lot of my friends were like me, single mom home. But I had a couple of friends who had dads in the home it was kind of like an out of sight, out of mind thing, though, if that makes sense. Like, they were there. We knew they were there. But they weren't, like, just overly involved either. Um, they supported their children, but it wasn't, like, one of those things. Like, if we wanted something, we want to ask their mother rather than their father because they were either at work or just not <laughs> engaged with a whole bunch of, you know, young girls. Um but I never, you know, my mom didn't cry. I hadn't, the first time I saw my mom cry was when her brother passed away and I had to tell her, like, that was the first time. And that was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't, you know, she didn't show emotion. Um, and I, I can't tell you, I think the first time maybe I saw a guy cry was like my early 20s. So I didn't see a lot of things um, because of this bubble I was always in. What about you? Um, Along some of the same lines, I'll say that um, one of the early messages that I received kind of growing up was from my family was this, um, you know, to do for others without any regard, just always do, always do, always do for others. And I think, you know, that came out of a very special place because that's just kind of my, my grandmother was a caretaker and I think she passed a lot of those traits down. And so in my family, I've watched like people just give, 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 like doesn't matter if it affects them or not. It's just a giving thing. And I've always appreciated it and I still appreciate it to this day. I think when I think about this particular topic, I try my best to kind of take out the word toxic because toxic makes me think that it's bad. And I don't necessarily think that a lot of these things are bad. I think it's just an overcorrection. We've got to figure out how to correct, but not overcorrect. So for me, you know, what I didn't see was like the emotion behind you know, being let down or being done wrong um, Mm -hmm. or, or something happening, 
Like, you know, my grandmother lost all four of her sons and her husband while she was yet living. And so um, I didn't really see her cry until probably her last son. She was always just this, what I would call a pillar of strength, like nothing moved her, it seems. Like nothing affected her, nothing moved her. She was like, she was solid. I Because I was thinking like, I don't know that I could be in that situation and, and not break down or, you know, not feel all of these different types of ways. But then I also remember when my grandmother passed away and I remember how she called the family together and let us know that she no longer wanted to live. She just did not want to live in this life anymore. She didn't feel like there was any meaning in her life if she couldn't do for others. And that's when it started to hit me that what are what are you tied to? Like, is it just what you do or do you understand who you are as a person? Um, and not saying that my grandmother got it wrong, but it was the first time that I realized that a lot of the messages that have come down about being invincible and being consistently strong and not really holding that place for vulnerability can be really damaging. Um, and even when I think about her story, you know, for her, she just decided she was going to give up on life. It was her choice. She refused food and water. She was in her right mind, so we couldn't do anything about it. But it's very hard to watch somebody decide to, that they're just going to die, not because you know there's an ailment that's taking them away or anything like that, but they're just saying, you know, I don't want to live. And I think as my parents explained it to me, and I'm old, guys, this was in 2013, so I'm old enough to recognize and realize like what's happening. But even as my parents began to explain to me their thoughts about it, it began to resonate that there's just this, there's so much, I think historically and generationally that we've been taught to kind of do and be like even when I was listening to you like you watched your mom and then not that she told you to do anything or said you need to go out and get a job or you need to go do this or do that there was just a innate feeling like okay I need to do this because I need to take the burden off my mom and not that that's not a good thing that I think that's a great thing but I I think we are just so steeped in doing for others and showing this this strength that we forget that we are human beings and we have to take up a space for our own human emotions what's happening with us as we transition through life and really understand that you know there are things that we face that we can't just sweep under the rug um and then for black men of course i grew up with my brothers and my and my dad and my dad was the ultimate providers, you know, he, he did all those things. But um, as far as like being encouraging and being an emotional safe space for me, I can't say that those things were always there growing up. It was more of get over it type of mentality. Um, you know, find your feet, you're going to be okay. There's worse things. Like those are the messages I remember getting and again, I'm not saying any of those are bad messages, but I think when you start to be in spaces where you and I are, where we recognize like, wait a minute. So, 
if you get if you are constantly receiving these messages about like just kind of get over it or <laughs> it, it'll be okay when you come into your adult life you start trying to figure out like well what are my issues i can't understand why this doesn't work for me i don't understand why i think like this and you have to kind of go back to okay so what do you know I know to get over things. I know to dismiss people quickly. I know how to isolate. I know how to do those things because I'm not supposed to sit in my emotions or be vulnerable or do any of those other things. Um, and that kind of goes into the, the next question that I was gonna ask is just like, how do the messages that we have received align or deviate from the perspective of like this toxic male or female uh, gender role that we're discussing? I think you're right about the aspect of that, you know, once we become adults, and it may be different for children now who have adult parents like you and I, and then grow up to be adults because we're kind of more aware mental health is more prevalent than it ever was. <laughs> so I think that's even one of the things that we have to take a step out and look at like our parents, our grandparents, their parents, you know, mental health wasn't a thing. That's all they mm -hmm. knew how to do was to pray their way through. And y'all, you know, of course, prayer works. So I'm not saying that it doesn't, but what I am saying is if you think about the things that, our ancestors, grandparents, great-grandparents have gone through, our parents have gone through, to not have anywhere safe to talk about what they've experienced, talk about what they've heard, talk about how they felt, and then have children of their own, have to raise them, and now here we are in 2020 experiencing the same things that were, you know, going on in the 50s and 60s. And for our parents, that was the time that most of them were growing up. How, how do you even have a conversation? How do you even put into words how you would feel? And so growing up in that kind of environment and kind of passing on which what we call generational trauma type thing, passing that generational trauma on to those that come after you is really what we're seeing now in people who are our age. <laughs> so like you said, you were told to get over it. It'll be okay. Um, you know, the the signs that I saw probably wasn't until I was in my 20s when I started realizing like, oh, this is how guys are being seen or this is what a guy does um, and this is how a girl should be. And if she's not like this, this is what she becomes and perception wise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it just... It makes it harder for us to be united, um, if anything, because like you said, in the Tory Lane situation, we have someone who was clearly shot a female. However, 
we have a guy who is like, I'm not going to tell my side. I'm just going to make a diss track about more black women. And Mm -hmm. instead of anybody taking accountability for what happened and even just acknowledging that hurt is there because y'all clearly cared about one another at one point, you know, y'all are just moving on. (laughs) No one is discussing what has happened. And so I think it kind of fuels the fire when it comes to this toxicity on both sides. When we look at the messages that we've received as children, as young adults. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this is a whole different podcast, but, you know, I think growing up, Um, I think our parents had their parents, both their parents, male and female, in the house more so than the generation that came after them. Um, And so you have to think about the dynamic there. Then you started having men that I won't say weren't getting toxic messages from a male standpoint, but now you have to think about the female influence for black men because so many of them began to grow up without their fathers or without a father figure. And so it was the perspective of the the woman. And then you have to think about, okay, well, if it's a perspective of a, perspective of a woman that black men are kind of growing up with now, then why isn't it like, why aren't we seeing more unity when it comes to black men loving black women and different things like that. And you have to kind of go back to, okay, so what are those messages that black women are actually sending as, mm-hmm. as mothers given to their sons? And, and there's, it just is, it is, it's pretty complicated. It's pretty complicated. But even when I was just listening to you, what I started to hear you say is basically how those messages have shaped your identity and, and what you value. So like if you're, if the message you received was, you know, Um, you got to be three steps ahead of the game. You got to do things two times better than your counterparts. Then I hear I need to be driven, 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 and nothing needs to stop me. And no matter what, I just, I just, I just go hard, you know, Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing wrong with that message. But what happens as an adult, when you come into the real world and you can be driven all you want to and if opportunity isn't there then you'll try you'll you'll think about that in terms of what's wrong with me instead of that's not my lane to be in right and then you internalize something that you never were meant to internalize like that's not even something you should have ever internalized it's more of a let me figure out what i need to be driven for Instead of, mm-hmm. oh, this says something about me as a person. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. All of these other things. And I think that's the trap that we fall in because now we take these messages and use them as the things that identify us. And rightfully so, you know, your past is necessary to understand the present for sure. But I think right. we do ourselves a disservice. Um, by not going through, I guess, the process of really understanding our own individual identity. It's so steeped in so many other complicated things that 
we never pull back those layers to really understand who we are as individuals here on this earth. And I think that is why people attach that toxic word to masculinity and femininity because it's steeped in all of these very toxic things. And now it's just been passed down through generations and we're trying to figure out what's wrong with us. And, you know, we, we are learning, we have to go back to the root of the issue and realize it's not that people did things wrong. It's just what they knew. And we now have a responsibility to, because we, we do have an opportunity to learn more. We have access. We have what we need is in, in form of resources to learn more, to be better and to, and to take it a step further. And like you said, equipping your son and, and our generation, equipping our kids to think a little differently, have a different perspective is going to be one of the ways we see a difference in the world. Yeah. And you touched on something briefly about, you know, the messages that are given to young black boys. And if, you know, why aren't we seeing more love shared? And it goes back to our values and identity. And the the only thing that kept like beating in my brain was the fact that because of those values, and I don't know for anyone else, but for me speaking personally, I'm not happy with the values I thought I needed to have to become the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Like, you know, the driven part. Yes, I am absolutely driven. If you tell me I can't do something, that's like you signing your own contract that you go write a check because I'm going <laughs> to make it, you know, like. Um, but I found that that also has done a disservice to my happiness mm-hmm. because I spent so much time making sure I accomplished whatever I was driven to do and mm-hmm. had enjoyed any of it. Mm-hmm. It was a task. It wasn't right. fulfillment because the end goal, of course, I'll be proud of myself, but I'll still be empty. Right. Absolutely. And that's no way to live your life. Because I think I have to be the same. Because I think I have to accomplish this. You know, uh, that doesn't that doesn't give me happiness. It doesn't bring me joy. Because what I'm finding that does bring me joy is nothing that was shared to me in those foundational messages. Right. Right. And I think that's so, I think that's so key that you bring that out because, you know, it's not like our ancestors, let's not even say ancestors. We can even go back to our grandparents, great grandparents. I think if we could ask them today and maybe some of us still can, if they thoroughly enjoyed what they did and and found meaning I'd say meaning, joy, happiness, and what they did. I don't know if too many of them would say yes. They were doing what they felt like they needed to do, what they had to do a lot of times. Let's just be honest, what they had to do to get through, to get by. And that's what we've received is you need to do what you need to do to get by, to, to, to you know, 
whatever that may be. You need to go get this degree. Hmm. You, I can't tell you how many people probably wouldn't be in debt today if that wasn't the message that they received. Mm-hmm. If the message that they received was, okay, let's think about, let's kind of spend a little bit of time. I'm not saying take years, but let's take some, a little bit of time, maybe after high school or even during high school, doing a better job of exploring, you know, what what's out there beyond just, I need to go to medical school or I need to, you know, go to law school. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these jobs and these positions. I think they're all necessary and needed, but I'm saying what we have felt obligated to do based on the messages we received and not necessarily understanding who we are as individuals and maybe why we were placed on this, in this earth, what is our purpose? You know, because we've been so tied into an obligation to fulfill an identity that was created for us generationally. And now we're seeing that, uh, no, I don't really think that was, that was for me. Speaking of which, you know, your girl four or five degrees later is really recognizing (laughs) like, yeah, I guess it's cool to be degreed, but I didn't really need all of that. Honestly. I really didn't have to put myself through that type of stress and that type of, you know, just kind of rigor now that I'm really learning what I'm placed on this earth to do and be. And, you know, what my story, I hope, will help someone else to know that they don't have to do it like that in order to reach, um, you know, their level of, of purpose. And I think the ne- the generation that's after us have has already taken to that and are running with it. Starting yeah. businesses early, you know, buying homes early, doing things that I I don't necessarily think I thought of when I was coming out of high school at all. Right. And so, you mentioned taking a year or so to think about it and that just goes to the different types of cultures we have and white culture their kids take a gap year to figure it out before they go to college if they want to go to college what that looks like the caveat to that is they normally come from old money mom Mm -hmm. and dad already have a business so they can they have that opportunity and in black communities and black and brown communities that's not the case and so usually from high school for our generation it wasn't a thing of if you were going to college you were definitely going Mm -hmm. (laughs) that wasn't a question could you take a year off to figure it out no right you have to go to college and so even having those opportunities for our children is something that I think would be vital because again, if I'm honest, if I had an opportunity to discover things differently, I would, I wouldn't have the degrees I have. I would more than likely had some type of like fashion degree or some type of creative writing, something. It wouldn't have been English But, you know, it would have been totally in the arts more so than in social services or healthcare or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, 
And so I think that's another difference that our children and future generations have an opportunity that we didn't. Yeah. And that kind of goes into that, the last question for us to talk about. And that's like, how do we refine gender expression, gender role, and around this like culturally toxic way of figuring out who we are as men and women come up instead of the toxic masculinity and femininity coming up with like, what is healthy masculinity and femininity look like, particularly in the black community? And I think you're right. I think, you know, it starts with us, first of all, recognizing, you know, how things have impacted our lives and then, you know, making strides and taking steps to um, make it different for our children, because I'm with you, you know, the message that I got from a early age and my daddy will attest to this to this day you either going to school you're going to the military or you're getting a job that's it you know and there is no like figuring something out you you need to be really thinking about it <laughs> now and, and even if it was college it was like okay so if you going to college you got to think about where you potentially can get a scholarship to. If you get a scholarship, you can think about going to other schools outside of this range. But if not, I I have the ability to give you benefits for colleges in, in Alabama. So you're going to have to limit your choices to Alabama. And again, that's them using the resources that they have. And I'm forever grateful for that. But I, I just think now that as an adult, as I get an opportunity to kind of sit back and look, I'm realizing I probably would have done some things differently had I had knowledge about who I am as a person, as an individual versus who I am obligated to be based off of culture, based off of, you know, gender roles, gender expression, like based off of all of that, when I, when you strip all that away and can be an individual, then I get a sense of what does femininity even mean to me? I, that's something that I'm just learning in my 30s, learning a softer side, learning not to be so aggressive. Your girl, yes, very aggressive at times. I got people who can attest to that too. Um, <laughs> but learning how to, and femininity just does not mean you're soft. Let me put that out there. Do not take me and misquote me. It's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that this idea of needing to be so rigid and so strong and so, you know, for men and women, let's talk about that for men and women, because that's a problem for men too. When you think about masculinity, it's like, I can't show no fear. I can't show any any um, sadness or any pain. I've got to be on my game. And, and that's, you know, I feel like that's why we lose so many of our black men so early. Like, we, they are the only population in this world who has the worst um, ratio of death to age ratio losing their lives so early before they even really get a chance to live it. And so I just, I think as I think about like what redefining means, it means first of all, 
understanding and accepting, you know, where I am in my journey to understanding who I am as a black woman and then choosing to, as I'm, I guess, kind of redefining that perspective for myself, making sure that, you know, I do the same, whether it be through my own children, which I don't have yet, but, um, you know, in the spaces that I'm in, when I'm mentoring, when I'm in the room with a client, when I'm talking to people in general who are my friends or whatever the case may be, having these conversations so that we can find a space where we can feel safe and talk about it and learn how to grow and build together. Yeah, I agree. Um, I am, well, everybody knows I'm a mom at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have a I have a son and that was different because again, I grew up in a house full of women. And so, I'm not going to lie, starting out, I was like, oh, God, am I really going to teach him what he needs to know to be, like, this boy? And then I got to a point of, like, well, I just want to teach him how to be a great human being. Like, he has mm-hmm. his dad, and, you know, granted, I don't have siblings or brothers or close cousins that I can call on when it comes to stepping in for him, but... I just do the best that I can because at the end of the day, if I can teach you how to be a good human being, the rest of the stuff, if you're interested in it, you will learn. And I had to find comfort in that. You know, his dad and I don't share the same um, ideas when it comes to emotions and you know, crying and all of those things, but that's because his father grew up in a household world where that was not a thing. And yeah. he has a temper. And I refuse to let my child's temper be the death sentence for him. Mm. So I choose to allow him to express himself respectfully. And, yeah. you know, share with me what I did to hurt his feelings or upset him respectfully. And I'm going to keep saying respectfully because that is, that is the key. He doesn't get to say, well, you know, forget you. And I can't stand like, no, you can have a conversation with me and you can say, you know, when you yelled at me, it really hurt my feelings. Right. Okay. I hear you and I apologize for that. I didn't have to yell to get my message across. However, I kept telling you to do these things more than once. And so when you didn't respond, it made me upset. And that was my reaction. Mm-hmm. So, how about you and I work together that you respond better so that I don't have to react that way? And that's yeah. how we communicate. Um, I cry when I get mad. My child does the same. Yeah. Sometimes in baseball, he gets upset. I've had to go to the dugout and be like, hey, I understand you're mad. We're, we're not crying right now because you still have a game to play. However, yeah. if you want to cry when we get in the car because you're still upset, 
by all means do it. But right now you take that frustration and you hit the ball the next time because you struck out this time doesn't mean that you won't get back up there and and hit a home run the next time. You transfer that anger into something else right now in this moment to make you have a more productive outcome. So that that's one way for sure. Um, I always, 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 always um, encourage him to express himself in a respectful way and share his feelings and label what his feelings are because I'm mad is just not going to get it for me. What are you exactly. mad about? Why do you feel mad? Why is this the word you're using? Is it because that's the only word you know how to, you resonate with that feeling? Because mm-hmm. you could be embarrassed, but you're not thinking to use embarrassed, so you're just saying you're mad. Right. Um, the other thing is you kind of have to take those normal gender roles off the table because we don't live in a society where gender roles are a thing anymore. Yeah. Um. So again, on the flip side of that, he loves to cook. He was excited when he learned he had gone in home economics. <laughs> I love it. Come on, somebody. You know? <laughs> and that was because he knew he would get to cook. Yeah. And so when I'm cooking, just this past Sunday, I baked the cake. He was like, can I help you? Absolutely. You can come yeah. and help. Now, when things got chaotic in the kitchen, I was yelling because I was like, don't mess up my icing. And he was like, I'm just gone because I don't have time. But he wanted to help. And so you have to allow kids to be kids and accept them from for who they are and who they want to become. Because children these days know a lot more than we ever did. Mm-hmm. They are more aware of who they are than most of us as adults. And right. so you have to figure out how to cultivate to that so that you can grow a relationship with it. The other yeah. thing is the double standards have to go away. Mm. You know, you can't have, it can't be, oh, he's just a boy, so it's cool for him. But, you know, if she's over here doing it, she a hoe. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. And you have to instill values in your children that they can take along with them to adulthood so that they can be better human beings. Like, you... I don't know if y'all realize it, but one thing we're lacking in this world right now is empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. You either have it or you don't. (laughs) That's not something that you go to school and learn how to do. That's one of those core values that you're taught at an early age. And so you grow up learning these things you grow up learning how to see other people who may not have as much as you and my child is beyond blessed he's not even blessed he's beyond blessed do you hear me but that doesn't mean that every chance I get when he becomes ungrateful in his many tantrums I'm not like hey you know there's a child out here who is probably living on the street that doesn't have a parent that cares about them 
Yeah. Look at how you're talking to me. Look at how you're talking to your grandmother. Look at how, you know, how could you imagine being on the street fending for yourself right now? You have a whole four walls and a roof, a door to come in and out of, a dog that gets on my nerves, food in your mouth, clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, and multiple things that you don't need. But what yeah. if you had to be out on the street in a cardboard box because you didn't have parents that cared? Or what if your parents, what if I lost my job and I could no longer afford things? Yeah. How would you feel? Like, I'm always real and honest with my child. And that may be something that we may want to start doing more of, being honest with our children. They know anyway. Right. And I'm not saying you expose them to everything. You let them be children, for sure. But the thing that my mom did about struggling to make sure she didn't have to tell me no, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can't afford it right now, then I'm just going to tell you right now I can't afford it. You can possibly wait to Christmas or to your birthday. You know, we can you cannot eat out as much and I can save that money, <laughs> you know, and then possibly we can get whatever you're asking for. But I'm not going to break my back. Yeah, because I've I've provided you with the necessities, the basic things. The the rest of it are just bonuses. Yeah, yeah. So that's my thought. All the word, all of it's a word. Like <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to go back and say anything to it because all of it was a word. I think as I just kind of reflect on this conversation, I'm reminded, um, you know, that doing the work doing self-work or what I call self-discovery is so important um, for us to be able to come into this healthy idea of what uh, masculinity and femininity looks like. And, um, you know, you said one thing about being able to identify emotions. And honestly, for me, I didn't know how to identify my own emotions until I got into a counseling program. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm in my late 20s, coming into a program, trying to help other people and really learning way more about myself than I ever intended to and realizing, wait a minute. So I'm not always mad. <laughs> it's not just me being mad. It's not mm-hmm. just me being um, wanting to be by myself. It's this, it's, you know, so really kind of identifying those things and learning to be okay with sitting with the discomfort of what that might bring up. Because I know for me, I initially when something bad or not even bad, when something not so positive comes up um, in the form of like identifying my emotions or learning my attachment stuff, whatever that may be. I immediately try to find evidence for why it is not what it is immediately. And I think, you know, being in an open space where you can sit with this may be something that's impacting me and therefore will impact anything that's, that touches me or that I touch. It, it makes me want to do the work because when you sit in a place and you understand that 
Um, I'm going back to the good book. For me, purpose-wise, I know that, you know, in my life, I'm going to touch people. So it is not okay for me to mishandle how I touch them because I'm not willing to do the work on myself that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that could be my children. That could be, you know, wh- whoever in this life that I'm meeting day in and day out. It could be your coworker. It could be your friends. It could be a homeless person you see on the street. People, you touch people almost every single day of your life. And I think if we all would sit in that space of having a responsibility, like you said, to be empathetic and to be compassionate and to know that we are loving individuals who, you know, don't don't mean we always get it right. But, you know, we just have that responsibility to be the best versions of ourselves that we can. And the only way we can do that is not by looking at the outside to figure out what the best version is. It's by understanding who we are within and accepting that Mm -hmm. and and moving and working to kind of, you know, bring a little bit of balance to those areas where we've either overcorrected or undercorrected. So that's my reflection this week. What about for you? Um, I think just continuing to do the work is the biggest thing that came up for me. Um, And on the other side of that, it kind of brings me to my um, affirmation as well uh, while we're closing out. And I told myself this because I had an assignment for therapy to kind of create my bio of how I want to kind of like my elevator pitch about myself. And the first thing that came to mind is um, I'm becoming the person I admired in my youth and um, the person I inspire to be after I'm gone. And so I just want to encourage everybody to, you know, if you have some time, take a step back and really think about what's truly important to you and what's going to bring you joy and then work on that. And really realize if this is the things or the career that you want to have, because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you want to be fulfilled. You want to feel joy. And if you aren't doing that, or if you aren't getting that from what you're in now, then, you know, you may want to take a shift. What about you? Absolutely. That's so good. I think for me, just in the form of affirmation, you cannot improve that which you refuse to identify. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just kind of simple. You know, we do, we put so much effort into doing so many other things in life. I feel like we do ourselves a disservice when we refuse to do the work that we need for ourselves internally. Um, it doesn't make you a weak person. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a self-aware person. And those people are the people we need in the world right now. Um, so that's where I am. All right, guys. We appreciate you sitting in with us for another week. We hope you guys have a great week. Um, enjoy the weather. It's supposed to be beautiful this weekend. And... I- Go vote. Go vote. I did it yesterday. I waited two hours, but I did it. Yes. We have a great week, guys. Bye.